Hello everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord, the comic book podcast for Seekwart, the best online and on-your-shelf source for news, reviews, and discussion of all things comics. I am Tom Shapira and with me as always... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. There are no strings on me. You had to. I had to. Anyway, this week, if you want, you can buy Classics on Infinite Earth from Seekwart. It's their biggest book yet. Currently available in print and on Kindle. This is Julian Darius' analysis of the DC canon, uh, specifically with regards to their crossovers. Very ambitious project. I'm actually looking forward to reading it myself. And remember, Sequart is on Patreon. Support smart criticism in comics. So before we get started, we have a few announcements. So, we'll be taking a skip week for yeah. health reasons. I suffered minor brain damage while reading Peter Milgan's Greek Street... That yes, bad? that bad. So the smorgasbord will return on the week of the 28th. Also, I have teeth damage, but that has nothing to do with any comic, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I did... As far as you know. Maybe when I went to sleep with the copy of, uh, you know, Peter Milligan's Aesthetics hardcover, <laughs> I maybe tried to chew on that, and... So we can both blame Peter Milligan, I think. Yeah. yeah. Milligan! So, one more thing. Yes. Tom, happy birthday. Thank you! We record this on my... 30th, which yes. means my future is now welcome, bleak. Welcome to the 30 and over club, so named because once you hit 30, it's over. Kids will uh, be appearing on your lawn any day now. Okay. Shall we start with the news? Yeah. And, well, there's no way around it. The biggest thing that happened between last episode and this one is that Age of Ultron came out. Okay, so we have very different opinions about this movie. Not very different. Slightly different. Okay. First you thing start. first, it came out and it was huge, but... Not Avengers 1 huge. Mm-hmm. The opening was smaller than the Avengers uh, number 1. And what I hear is that this is attributed to word of mouth from the Yeah, European because it, it opened overseas, overseas being well, Here. for us. Yes. <laughs> it opened outside of America first, and the reviews have been less positive than the first Avenger movie. Mixed. Also, there was some discussion about big sporting events in the US, some boxing thing, which I know nothing about. Eh. But people told me, you know, it was the biggest boxing pay-per-view in history. So, and it opened on the same weekend. So maybe... I kind of question whether that yeah. targets the same audience. Well, both involve punching things most of the time. I guess. In any event, what I find sort of validating to my position that this movie was really overstuffed was the fact that literally the first question people were asking as they left the theater is, so is there going to be an extended edition of this or something or a director's cut? And apparently there is. Because so your problem with it being overstuffed is you want more of it. Well, here's the here's the I thing. I want less that, of it. I mean, here's the thing that really bothered me. Yes, it's not. Also, no spoilers, by the no way. No spoilers. Yeah. I, I, we're not going to. Even go though into we specifics. assume everybody, who, listen, who if you it. were going to see it by now, you would have. But let's let's yeah. say spoiler free as much as possible, and say that it's not an unusual claim to say that a movie had certain scenes cut or whatever. These are considerations that go into editing for any movie. I'm sure there were plenty of scenes that were cut in the first Avengers too. The problem is that in Age of Ultron, I mean, as I was watching it, I could see the seams. Like, you could tell very clearly where content was cut. Specifically, you know, Thor has this whole subplot that, I mean, everyone has talked about it, that it just sort of, out of nowhere? Yeah, no, I mean, you nowhere. can see sort of where the, the, it's like when you rip a page out of a book, you can tell that there was something there, right? So, the editing was very sloppy, because literally, like, you feel that there's content that should have been there, and I mean, again, like, Whedon has said that the original cut of this movie was supposed to be three hours, and I have made this comparison before, because it still holds true. 
I sat through the extended editions of all the Lord of the Rings movies. If I could do four hours for uh, for Peter Jackson, I can do three hours for Whedon. I don't think that anyone who went to see that movie would have had a problem with the length if it had allowed things to make well, sense. Well, I think that's that's a studio thing because if the movie is shorter, you can do more runs per day. And so you, all, you are always encouraged to keep it below three... Not always. Below three hours simply for... Well, if it's below three hours, the cinema, the studio can show it. The cinema can show it over and over right. again. I mean, that's sort of the. I mean, that's the core of the problem, yeah. right? Like, it seems like it was a situation where the studio's intervention damaged the final product because Whedon himself has been saying on like every possible platform that his vision for the movie was compromised, whatever that means. That there were things that were cut for time. And no other reason. Like, usually if a scene is cut, it's cut because, you know, it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. Well, but... But I, here it's whatever like... Whatever vision, original vision Whedon had must also have been intervened with during Avengers 1 because that's Marvel. Marvel is sure. the intervening studio. But he didn't but, say that then because everybody liked Avengers 1. But the reason, in my opinion, like, the reason these complaints weren't voiced is because when you watch the first Avengers movie, you don't feel like, where did this guy just go? What's going on now? Like, where's the part where you explain what actually just happened? What other Marvel movie? Iron Man two, which was the only. Was that a problem in Iron Man two? Not that I recall. And that was the only other Marvel movie that was directed by the same director as the first one in the series. Hang on, what was wrong with Iron Man two in that context? In the idea that there were so many things that felt pushed into the film simply to prepare other movies. You know, here, here's that. Nick Fury in the middle for no reason. Here's the other element in the movie for no reason. Here's uh, War Machine for... Well, listen, War Machine was going to turn out... I mean, Yo, War he... Machine was a character in the first yeah, movie, too. Yeah, but a lot of things in that movie, th- that's what the reviewers said at the time, were okay. it I felt mean... as a preparation for other movies rather than a film by itself. Hmm. And Avengers 2 also had much of that. And I, we, and okay, Marvel, I definitely agree with that with Age of Ultron. And, and Marvel replaces directors like, you know, old socks. Mm-hmm. And I think you can see that. You know, no director wants to work with Marvel twice, and those that do end up regretting it. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, not necessarily a bad thing, but when, when the director comes again, we see it doesn't work. Uh, who directed Iron Man 1 and 2? Um, John Favreau. John Favreau. And he quit, and he was very angry with Marvel. Mm-hmm. And now Joss Whedon is, you know, once he finished his dues for Marvel, he's, he's bad-mouthing them on the internet. He's saying they interviewed my script, and they did this, and they did that, and... Now that the Russo brothers I signed up, are signed up for, you know, doing two of two Captain America movies in a row mm-hmm. and the Avengers, well, we'll wait and see. I mean, again, like assuming that this has been true, and I suppose like the real test there will be Ant Man, which is a movie that has been so interfered with on so many different levels. No, no, I, f- I don't think anybody might... would care. Ant Man is the flop that Marvel can afford because if it fails, they can say, well, it's the small project and it had problems and it's not related to our actual yeah. big Avengers thing. If Ant-Man would be their flop, nobody would care because it's right. Ant-Man. But and if Ant- but on the flip side of that, if Ant-Man succeeds, it demonstrates that to a certain extent, Marvel is Marvel can bulletproof, not bulletproof per se, but they can survive the shift in directors yeah. and the shift in creative visions so long as there's some kind of overall consistency. And I think really, like this is an example of how you know there have been directors that came in to later Marvel movies and succeeded. Shane Black did really well, I thought, with Iron Man 3. Yeah. You know, I mean, Ben Kingsley was amazing. No, what I'm I'm saying is, from what 
what evidence we have in front of our eyes right mm-hmm. now. It appears that Marvel directors can survive a second movie. Right. Either they do one movie and quit, or they do two movies and the second movie is not as good as the first, and well, we they end up... Well, we only have two. Well, okay, yeah. that's what we have, from what evidence we have in front of our eyes. It's not a rule, it's not a law. You know? I, I guess the, the thing that comforts me... I mean, okay, I came out of this movie feeling disappointed. Because, and... I wasn't expecting very much, so I couldn't... I was. I, wasn't, I, I was. And I, like, I wanted basic example. I would have liked more for Scarlet Witch. I, I enjoy, like, I like Wanda Maximoff as a character. I feel like more could have been done with her and Pietro. Um, you know, like, th- there were certain things that I felt could have been done better. But I think the upside to this turnover is, so I leave Age of Ultron and I'm disappointed, but I'm like, okay, Whedon's gone. He's done. So maybe the next one will be better, right? Like there's no, there's no sense. It's not like, for example, with the DC films where you know that you're in for a decade of Zack Snyder, whether you like it or not. We don't know anything. If, if Superman v. Batman fails, you won't see, uh, mm. you won't see him again. Superman wasn't a critical success and it wasn't a super mega hit, but it right. was enough of a financial success. Exactly. You know, it made hundreds and millions of dollars. But I mean, as far as DC fans know, Going forward, the universe is going to be informed by his decision. Certainly, well, for example, with Batman and, and Wonder Woman. Well, speaking of DC, we mm-hmm. got uh, the pick, the first full crew picks from Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad. From David Ayer's Suicide Squad. See, that could have been done worse, I thought. I was I, looking at it and it's like, not as bad as I, I thought. I like David Ayer. David Ayer did uh, End of Watch and he did Fury. Mm-hmm. Now, David Ayer is, I think, very good on down and dirty, R-rated, hardcore action movies. Okay. This is a DC brand. This is PG-13, I believe. That makes me worry. But because it's also I... the Suicide Squad. Well, see, yeah, but what can you do with a PG-13? Because oh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe his style when it works mm. could be translated into a PG-13 movie. I believe it could be translated to the Suicide Squad as a concept because, right. you know, crooks killing people in heavy bunches. Have you seen Fury? No, I haven't. That's a massively violent World War II movie, okay. you know? It's like the whole movie is Saving Private Ryan with tanks. That know? explains why I haven't seen it, but well, okay. So, it could work. I'm not sure it would work, but it does so many things oddly that I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt simply for the curiosity's sake. Like, right. choosing this director, this cast of all, you know, Will Smith. Of all people, Will mm-hmm. Smith. That makes me so curious. I mean, listen, there's an interesting cast here. Yeah. You know, you have, and also you have like really esoteric DC characters yeah. being thrown here. You have Katana, you have the Enchantress, you have, this these could, are characters who are associated with the Suicide Squad. This could be their guardians. It could be. I, I was really it. skeptical about Margot Robbie, but from the, from what we've seen so far, she seems to have Harley Quinn down. Well, the modern version of Harley Quinn, which I like less than the classic yeah. 90s version. I mean, listen, I'm always going to post that clip from the animated series of uh, Harley singing on the piano, yeah. say that we're sweethearts again. That's like classic Harley. But I yeah. mean, if that's what we have to work with, like the modern version, I guess she's doing as good a job as can be expected. I'm less enthusiastic when I... Did you see that photo of Jared Leto as a Joker with the tattoos? Yeah, yeah, well... They, they they sort of had to do something different from Heath Ledger because if they tried for similar view, everybody would cry rip off, rip off, and it's better that they cry. Would they? Yes, because this is still nominally the the same DCU, right? No, not from the Dark Knight. 
Isn't it? No, no, no. The Dark Knight is not in Vault. See, because I was under the impression that Man of Steel is meant to exist in this in the Nolan verse. No, sort no, of. no, 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 no way, no how. So this is a reboot. What you're yes. telling again? Yeah. What again? What this is Batman's third, yeah, first. Day. Yeah. Wow. Now I have even less desire to see Superman. No, 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 no. Because no, no. I mean, and say look, what you will about and, the Dark Knight and, Rises. And with the Joker in general. When we had uh, Jack Nicholson, everybody said he's perfect, and then yeah, we had, he was. and then we had Heath Ledger, and everybody said originally, "Well, you can't beat uh, Jack, and you don't even try, Pretty Boy." And then he did his version. Everybody's, "Well, now he's the best one." And now right. we have Jared Leto, and everybody's, "Well, that's terrible. It doesn't look at anything mm-hmm. at all like the original Joker." Give it. I'm giving it a chance. I mean, I guess my my objection there was just the idea that, yes, Heath Ledger's Joker was very different and very surprising. But in a sense, he wasn't that far off. He had a different sense of theatricality, and he certainly wasn't Jack Nicholson's Joker. uh, Like, not on any... Or Mark Hamill's Joker, for that matter. Or Cesar Romero's Joker. Right, very different. And yet, there was still something, visually at least, that worked. Like, Jared Leto's version had the tattoo damaged on his forehead, which seemed like a really weird... It's sort of on the nose, you know? Yes. Like, the Joker of all people... The Joker has never been a subtle character. Yeah, but it seems like... We don't know. I mean, listen, in terms of actor, I was absolutely... Like, I'm still convinced that he's going to do a great job. Because Jared Leto is exactly the right kind of character actor who could do the Joker properly. 20 years ago, I would say Nicolas Cage. Too, Too meta. Two on the nose. No, twenty years he ago. Lived, even I, now, I, <laughs> mostly because I've seen Baby uh, Raising Arizona just yesterday again. So, so I'm like, try face off. Oh yeah, that, that's, yes. that's the one that'll get you. Like, oh okay, so yeah, he could have done the Joker, but um, either depressed Nicolas Cage or or funny Nicolas Cage or angry Nicolas Cage. Or both. They're all the Joker. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, but let's be okay. thankful for small favors. Uh, DC's other movie-related announcement mm-hmm. is that they have a new. Commercial initiative? Yes. They have been including DVDs and CDs with their comics. With their, with certain hardcovers. Yes. It's an interesting initiative. Yeah. So you buy like the Batman hardcover of collection, whatever, and you get the Batman Arkham Knight DVD. Right. The animated movie. Now Now they bumped up the prices accordingly. Yeah, but not a lot. It's like $20 hardcover is now $24 hardcover? I think $27. But even then, like, yeah. you're getting a movie for $7, so... And assuming it's a movie you want. That was the unclear... Like, I couldn't <laughs> tell from the press release, do they tell you what the movie is yes, before yes, you yes, buy yes, it? Yes, yes, okay. yes, obviously. <laughs> that would be awkward be- if you're be- like, I just buy Batman the- and Robin? Why do I have Schumacher? <laughs> I mean, no. I don't know. I just bought this Superman, this Superman hardcover. Why do I have Aquaman Throne of Atlantis? You could do worse than Throne of Atlantis. Could you? Not by much, but you could. Yeah, Batman and the Sun. Son of no, Batman. no, no. Batman and the Sun is a good is a good comic. Son of Batman is a horrible movie. Yeah. And Thank God Bruce Tim is coming back. I mean, I'm ready. These uh, direct to DVD um, movies movies by DC have been on a downhill slope for a long time. They started okay-ish. I, I really like the Wonder Woman uh, pilot movie. I really enjoyed the. Tales from the Green Lantern Corps thing that they did, mostly because they... Oh, yeah, that was amazing. Mostly because they just directly adapted Ellen Moore stories. Mogo doesn't yeah, socialize. Oh, two Ellen Moore stories. Amazing. What was the other one? 
Uh, the one with the five inversions. Oh, I hated that. They completely rewrote the story. Well, yeah, the end of it was based oh, on the Jeff Jones God. rewrite, but the original yeah. occurrences was based on Ellen Moore. It was story. a great, like, anthology movie. I always wondered why that one didn't succeed more, because it really did, I mean, the main criticism that they always had with Green Lantern was like, Hell Jordan, uh, and there's so much more. It didn't succeed. Uh, Wonder Woman didn't succeed. It was their lowest selling film, and because of that, they didn't commission any other Wonder Woman movies. They, right. o- they only did Batman, Superman, Superman, Batman, Justice League, Batman, Superman, Superman, Batman, Justice League. Aquaman. Yes. <laughs> the natural choice. You gotta break the, well, I mean, look, the Flashpoint uh, the, movie, for example. Was terrible. Is it fair to say that it was less terrible than the event, though? Yes, but it's still terrible. It's yeah. it's ba- it's based on a bad idea. Exactly. You, like when you're working, you couldn't do with... much with that. Yeah. When life gives you lemons, you know, do the best you can, but it still a lousy story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it probably doesn't help. Is Jeff Loeb running? Who's who's doing this? No, movies? no. Jeff Loeb is running Marvel's animated oh, side. Well, I don't know, and it doesn't really matter. A lot of them were based on two recent stories. They had seventy years of DC history, and they chose like. Two Jeff Loeb movies and two and three Jeff John stories. Oh, that what? was the the Superman with the Superman Supergirl. Batman with yeah. Supergirl. Both of them, the public like Superman Batman public enemies, thousands of Doomsdays, yeah. and then Dark Side, yeah. and then yeah, wow. terrible story. And they did free Jeff John story, and they did the uh, Judd Winnick Batman Red Hood. Yeah, which all was almost good. Yeah, it was almost there, but not quite. And it it all of them have good animation. All of them have good fight scene. A lot of them have very decent voice actors but the stories man yeah just bad I, I don't know if that's like an explicit directive with them where they can only work with say the last five or ten years of stories which because is they start, because they started with the new frontier that was one of their first movies well that's also pretty new yeah but i mean relative to the entire yeah. scope i don't it's, it's weird they make very strange decisions bruce tim is you coming know, back you, now for the gods you, and monsters because you uh, have movie. green arrow who's very popular and i'm keep I, and i'm still waiting you know do the longbow hunters right why won't you do that continuity reasons why why you know no, but then the, who cares i yeah, mean they've been doing continuity the longbow, there's no continuity and the mike and, and the mike and the mike Grell green lantern is pretty close to the tv in the sense that you know he was very human based and he shot people with regular arrows and he didn't have all these tricks trick arrows most of the time right so why i don't know Bad choices all yeah. around. Bad decisions. Uh, but listen, final news from DC. Yes. We're doing a lot of DC news today. Well, they've been active, haven't they? Okay, so by by now, everybody <laughs> knows, and that's how it goes. <laughs> the Dark Knight returns for the third and Yay! final time. The Dark Knight Master Race by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello, with art by... Uh, I have no clue. I think it was Russo, right? Probably. Because Russo worked with Azarello a lot. Wow. Okay. Ooh. Ooh, Edward, you mean Eduardo Russo? Eduardo Russo, right? Uh, am I wrong? They, mm, or am I, I don't wrong? think they actually said... Who's that, the, oh, who's it hasn't you? been announced yet. Oh. There's no artist. It might be Russo, because yeah. he. you're right, he collaborates a lot with Azarello. Okay. But I mean, there, I'm there's so a, happy. There's a lot of things to unpack here. Oh my god. The first of which is, The Dark Knight Returns is, and will always be, a classic. One of the greatest... Comic book ever written. Stipulated. Yes. Dark Knight Strikes Back <laughs> is horrible. <laughs> Wasn't it Strikes Again? Strikes Again, I don't know. There was the Empire Strikes Back. And it, yes. Well, it, yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. it was Strikes Again. Okay. Was horrible. Yes. Frank Miller, as a whole, 
mm-hmm. is writing He's horribly. a hole of some kind, that's for sure. He's writing horribly since 2001, I would say. That was the big switch. I feel like it might have been a little... There were hints. Of, yeah, you know, it was a down... Like, it wasn't that he suddenly switched. Like, there was a deterioration. I think uh, Jeff Clock in his uh, How to Read Superhero comics, which came out yonks and yonks ago, like 10 years ago, he made the observation that the seeds of what became a Frank Miller was were always there. Yes. But we talked it, about this yeah, when we yes, reviewed it, Daredevil. It, like, it you can see the... Yeah, all you needed was a slight push, and that slight push happened. Yeah. And the man... Well, the, the way that the urban legend yeah. goes is because of Lynn Varley, mm-hmm. the messy divorce. The other uh, legend that I heard is because of 9-11. He did. He I came, feel like he was getting there. No, but he was. He, you know, he was politically sort of left wing. You could see it in the interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, he became radically right wing. Radically. Well, well, when did Dark Knight Strikes Again come out? I think two thousand three, two thousand two, December two thousand one. Wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. that would. Well, that would explain a lot, actually. Well, well re- rewriting in the middle of doing it, but I don't know. I don't know, and I don't want to assume. Okay. And Frank Miller. When I say that he has became a parody of himself, I don't mm. mean it in the usual term of he's not as good. I mean, l- literally, if you read Frank Miller's post-2001 output and you compare it to his previous output, you would say somebody is doing jokes yeah. about the original writer. Somebody is exaggerating, changing things a bit. It's I mean, so if you want weird. It, it's it, so... It's, it boggles the mind. Literally boggles the mind. And also... He lost his talent. Yeah. It's if not, you it's want a, a clear example of that, yeah. like in a continuous sense, read Sin City. Like you can see, because uh, the first few stories were really good, but you can see how he he starts spiraling downward as the stories are coming out to the point where when like the most recent one is just, you know, whores, 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 and uh. that's it. Like you, you can tell when he, because he wasn't doing many ongoing projects at the time. So I think like that is the perfect situation where he started out in one place and he ends up somewhere like completely different. I am so happy about this though because no. because I'll tell you why. All Star Batman and Robin was seven years ago, eight years ago. Well, it started eight years ago. It finished and five years ago without. I finishing. laughed every issue. I laughed. It was a bounty of comedy. All the jokes about the goddamn Batman, I was like... I was sad. I mean... I, w- I was sad. But la- laugh or cry, right? Like, those are your options with him. You either just enjoy what's coming out in a parodical sense, because really, Miller's problem isn't just that he lost his talents, it's that he lost his self-awareness. Like, he doesn't seem to be aware of what he's doing at, at, at any point, where it's like... What scares me Kidnap that- the nine-year-old boy, and like, the, the dialogue. What scares me is that maybe he is aware. We keep but, the masks on. Okay, it's better that way. The other thing that I think that's important—that's <laughs> important to mention—Frank Miller is probably no confirmation. Very, very sick. We've all yeah. seen the images. Words has been, been spreading. Well whatever he has, I don't know what type of illness. Right. It feels to me like DC is taking a sick old man. Or that's you know, it's not that old, but you know, the sickness made him older, appear older, mm-hmm. and squeeze out of him. By force, mm. another title, so they can sell from the creator of the Dark Knight Returns, and the fact that they're bringing in but there's another... Brian Azzarello to actually write it, because from what I can see here, it's going to be Brian Azzarello writing and Frank Miller signing his name on it. Well, that hasn't been confirmed. Let's it be fair. It doesn't matter. You know, Frank Miller never needed a co-writer. Never. 
Frank Miller was his own man, his own writer, his own creator okay. for a long, long time. For most of you know the recent years, he drew he drew his own stuff, except for uh, All Star Batman and Robin. Right. And suddenly, and also, I think Martha Washington had a different. Yeah, but that again, I said okay. recently, right, right. recently, you know, bad or good, he did it by himself. Yeah, but now they're bringing in another writer. Okay, and there's another way to look at that. I think. and I, I for me, it's before Watchmen, and the fact that he agrees to it doesn't make it any less reprehensible. Not morally, because he agrees to it; it's his creation. He can do whatever he wants. Simply for how you treat the, this classic thing. It's like, mm. I'm desperate now, and I need some... DC, want some money? We're gonna squeeze on this, on this, you know, tit of classic thing. You know, with the cow's otter. I might be overly generous here, but I would say that there is another way to look at this, which is that they are giving him an opportunity to produce more work. Because really, since Holy Terror, what has Miller been doing lately? It's not like he's got an ongoing. It's not like he's publishing, like, writing or creating anything. Because I think, quite frankly, Holy Terror turned a lot of people off Frank I, Miller I, I don't think in the matters. industry. I don't think it but matters. Just like Neonomicon... It sort of does. No, because just like Neonomicon turned a lot of people against Alan Moore... But Moore was still creating work on a regular basis. If Frank Miller comes to just about any publisher, not all of them, you know, I don't think uh, Monkey Brain would take him, I don't think First Second would take him. If Frank Miller goes to Marvel, goes to DC, goes to Image, goes to Dark Horse, and tells them, I want to write something... They would jump. I don't think so. I think I th- because why do I not think so? Because Frank Miller, like you said, has become so well known for his politics and for the degradation in his work that I don't think a lot of writers would be ha- a lot of companies, for example, Disney associating with Frank Miller. Disney doesn't care what Marvel does. Uh, the the Mar- PR Mar- wouldn't. Okay, I mean, so forget Disney, Marvel have been trying to push themselves as being a more tolerant, more, uh, you know, accepting and, company. And Frank Miller is not exactly... Yet, if he were to write The Punisher, and, you know what would happen. Yes, and yet Marvel is all about the money. And for the chance to publish from the guy who brought you Daredevil Born Again, right as the Daredevil series is out, they would murder people. They would sacrifice babies I, on, on altars. I don't think so. Because, again, like... Okay, if he needed work, Avatar Press would give him work, you know? Because but it's the fact that DC... I, I'm sort of seeing this in the same way as why does Marvel keep hiring Chris Claremont to do X-Men stories? Nobody really cares what Claremont does anymore. Uh, like, have, he doesn't, I, he's not a selling point. I think, I think they have this long-term contract with him. He get he gets money anyway. By making right. him write something, they... They're they, not making him write it, though. They're offering him a book. Like, no, he could just as easily turn it down. They don't, they, don't, they don't offer him. They pay him anyway. That's his contract. Okay. He gets money anyway. He has one of, I think, one of the best contracts in the industry. It, I mean, I don't know the specifics of that. That might be true, but I'm saying like they're not under any obligation to publish, like to get get him an artist. No, but schedule a book. You, you got you got you got this guy. You know, use him, and you know, at least twelve twelve thousand people minimum would buy it because the old the old fans. Right. So that's exactly the point. Like with Miller, also, I feel like it's very unfortunate what he's become. But you said it. The man's a legend, right? He has earned a certain reputation despite pissing it away in, in, in the last decade. What he earned, he can never piss he, away. Not completely. It does, it does. Not completely. But, you know, I do think that, for example, it's a lot harder to sell people on The Dark Knight Returns if they've read All-Star Batman first. Well, yeah. Then you go to them and you're like, but this is the, or year one, for example, that this is the epitome of writing Batman. It's like, yeah, but it's also by the guy who, like, kidnaps a nine-year-old and, you know, 
Yeah. I'm the goddamn, are you goddamn retarded? I'm the goddamn Batman. I mean, I'm going to laugh at this book when it comes out. I mean, the fact that it's called the Master Race. I mean, there's being self-aware and there's being self-aware, right? Speaking as of... A, as a Rello, that's... I don't know. They ne- they never said choice. that he would be writing the book. They said that he is working with Miller. Like, I don't know what Miller's capacity is here. It might, in fact, be that DC put him on this book specifically to be like, so, Frank, you know how you have Catwoman running around with her boobs out the entire issue? Maybe we cannot do that? If you want to bring someone to rein in Miller, you don't bring Azarello. I think even Azarello, like, has... Do you remember the John Constantine in prison story? Yes, but do, uh, look at his work on Wonder Woman. You can say, okay, he knows how to be constrained when circumstances call for it. Because he could have done a lot of horrible things with Wonder Woman, and he didn't. You know, he could have been gratuitous, he could have been super violent, he could have really taken the character in the direction that, amusingly enough, the Finches ended up taking her immediately after they took over. But he didn't. And I feel like if that is the same approach that he would take to working with Miller, it's the best... Like, this is how DC avoids a scandal where Batman visits prostitutes. I don't know. Or God help us if he were to have sex with, what's her name, Carrie Ryan. Right, his Robin, the, the oh, girl Robin. God, those... that, you know that that could happen. No. 60-year-old Batman, 18-year-old no. one. Uh, 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 I can see the narration. Oh, I'm like, God. she's so... D- um, Nancy and Hardigan in Sin City had the exact same dynamic, right? Yeah, Younger but the woman, end, older protected man. But the man. end point of it was Hardigan saying, there's wrong and there's wrong and there's this. That, but, but that, well, you, that was earlier. Frank exactly. Miller. And what and happened that's why afterwards? He became a parody of himself. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like maybe that's the best possible thing to hope for. Now, speaking of people who should still be getting work regardless of the actual quality of their work, Stanley yes. has teamed up with Arcana to create a new superhero universe. Arcana, who are not Archaea. No. I, I think that should be mentioned because not a lot of people know Arcana. Oh. <laughs> and when I hear Arcana, I immediately think Archaea. Oh, no, 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 no. Arcana. The other one. The other one. So um, the series is called The Unknowns. It's described as Ben 10 meets Men in Black with rock and roll, which is not the worst pitch I've ever heard. No, but it's the most generic pitch you have heard. Here's a thing that I know, and here's another thing that I know, and rock and roll, kids. So you know I love Stanley. I love him. I mean, look, I... Even when you take into account all of the legal issues and all of that, yes, yes, I acknowledge all of that, but like... When I see him in a Marvel movie, I can't help smiling. He's like this showman. He's the grandfather of the Marvel universe. He's he's a funny guy. You know, I I appreciate the desire to give him something to work with, especially at his age, because we're not going to have him for he much longer. He doesn't need work. He doesn't need work. He has enough money. I think that he needs the work in the same way that Claremont needs. It's like you have all of these. Old industry legends, right? Yes, they have the money, they have the contracts. I'm sure that all of that is true. Most of them like don't have the money in Speaking contract. as He's a writer. one of the few. Right, but speaking as a writer, it's like, I know that sometimes you, you want to write, you know? And Stan Lee has tried this tactic. I mean, it didn't work with him with Stripperella. It didn't work with that superhero reality Soldier show Zero. that they did. Soldier Zero. He's tried it so many times and it always fails and I always feel bad when it happens. It was this anime, right? Uh, American Robot, something like that. Something like that. It didn't, you Hero know, Robo, didn't work. Robo Hero. But again, like, I feel like 
he is someone who should have work. I'm not saying put him on like Marvel flagship title and let him dictate the direction of the universe. We can we could be doing worse, but uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. Well, Bendis is leaving the X Men, so oh, we will get to that. But I feel like again, like he is someone who, insofar as the industry is concerned, should always have something to work with. I mean, at the end of the day, we as readers choose what to read. Right, the fact that he's writing a new book doesn't obligate us to read it. Just as the fact that Miller's putting out, you know, this yeah, but third sequel, I, we're not obligated to pick it up. Yeah, but no, he no, should we're have not it. obligated in in this case. I have this feeling that the people who who would buy it are people who don't actually know Stanley. They know the reputation, but they don't know the writer Stanley, a man who, let's be generous, hasn't written a single good comic for the last. 30 years, and that's me being generous. 30 years is the 1980s. I think that's I mean, what what did he wrote since then? Uh, Ravage 2099? Is that him? I I think it was. He wrote one of the 2099 titles. Stanley's problem from a a writing perspective... Oh, oh, oh. Just imagine Stanley creating this universe. Remember that? That that was pretty All of these great artists... But what do all of these projects have in common? These were all situations in which Stanley was trying to adapt himself to what was going on at the time. He's not with the zeitgeist, right? Stanley is not someone who can write a modern style story. That's just not going to happen, which is why I think like if he's going to do anything, he might as well go and work on his own projects because that would really be the best place because you don't want to see Stanley writing the X-Men now. See, the uh, the only good thing that I remember him writing recently He's doing the Spider-Man uh, newspaper strips, and they're pretty good. I don't care. I couldn't care less. I mean, again, like, I'm well, not... Well, I could, I could care less, I guess. I'm not going to read it, but I'm saying, like, let the man work. It doesn't hurt anybody for him to have his project. And Miller might actually do some damage if he's writing Batman. And <laughs> for someone who should take a rest from his work, we start with the reviews? Yes. Okay, and... Um... Well, we There's didn't no... want we didn't want to talk about it, but we had to. This is all Phil Hester's fault, is what happened because uh... Mystic Number One <laughs> failed to come out on time. Yes, and so our backup number one for review was well... Secret Wars Number One from Marvel Comics by Jonathan Hickman and Asad Ribic. Yeah. Now, the latest thing from Hickman we reviewed here was The Dying mm-hmm. in the Dead number one. I promise that I will not go into a screaming rage made Sean very, very angry. Hulk Ooh. angry. Oh, yeah. And... There was screaming involved. Like I And I didn't like it, but I took it as a, you know, falling out because generally I enjoyed Hickman's work. But since then, I've read the recent volumes of Manhattan Projects, which I found boring. I've read he, some of his Avengers stuff, which I've stopped reading after a while and found it boring. And now we have this, which is boring. Okay, so the plot. Uh, what all you need to know is that universes are crashing into each other, you know, Earths, meaning Earth. And in this case, the ultimate Earth and the standard 616 Earth, 616 Earth are crashing into another. Because we were all okay. very concerned about the fate of ultimate Earth. Yes. Deeply concerned. And there's some lying about them being the last two, so I assume during the Avengers run, a lot of Earths were destroyed. Whatever. And they have to fight it out. You know, the Ultimate Universe is a lot more militant, and they're basically, this is our last chance to survive, let's launch all our, you know, ships at them and try to destroy them. And in the background, we have Thanos and the Ultimate Reed Richards, who became a villain in the Ultimate Fantastic Four run. 
and they scheming to take advantage of the situation to their nefarious ends. So if that's the plot, which is basically two universes fight out, why so many words? Why so much exposition? I described it to you in 100 words. There's 100 words on every single page here, minimum. 100 words sometimes per panel. To explain and re-explain and introduce and expound and explore and expurge and explore. I don't have any words to describe the amounts of words that we have here. And, worst of it all, you have Assad Ribic. You're bringing the great Assad Ribic. And it's a bad action comics. It's not even exciting. So many mid shots, you know, when, when you show, you know, the face of the character and half of the body and that's it. The worst example. Uh, the ultimate Iron Man is jumping into battle and he's bringing with him is Iron Man 6.0, which in the ultimate universe is his space station, which transforms into a giant mecha. Great visual. Potentially, but they show this thing in the air alongside the L carriers, so that means you have no sense of scale. You know, is it big? Is it bigger? And then you have the Avengers, the, re- the regular Avengers saying, well, we have to destroy it. And then, two panels later, somebody says, ah, we blew it up. You blew it up? Show it! Show, god damn it! I'm not angry, I'm just- the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom! What? What? That's the worst kind of storytelling there is, because it's not storytelling, it's just telling. I'm so disappointed in you, Jonathan Hickman. What, what I can't happened? say I was disappointed because I saw it coming. I mean, here's okay. It's boring. It's... Did this not? Did this issue not remind you, like panel for panel, of Crisis on Infinite Earth number one? The white light, the d- wave of destruction coming. You assume in, I survived people, Crisis on Infinite Earth. People flying around. I mean, it's 1985 again. That's, y- that's you know. What this you know what it reminded me of. Multiversity number one. Not as good. Not as good as Multiversity number one. All the heroes from alternate universe meeting up, and there's this slugfest, and some huge cosmic destroyer of all things. But, you didn't like Multiversity. But can we both agree that Multiversity was better? Than this? Yes, that it at least presented its action in an exciting manner, that you could see stuff going on, that when two superhero teams fought out, you could see them fighting out. You can now actually... that you mention it, I have... Okay, so this is my personal preference coming into play here. And it may not be this way for everyone. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have... Now that you mentioned, like, you're, you're bringing it up, and I think you're absolutely right, the comparison to multiversity. I had the same basic problem with both of these issues, which is... We as readers, I don't think, or the majority of us, don't care about... The world, capital T, capital W, right? The image of these two planets colliding. Yeah, yeah. Our interest is with the characters. So I'm reading this issue, right? Secret Wars number one. Stuff is exploding on every other panel. And I'm going to spoil now because it's relevant. So Black Widow dies, right? Uh, like characters just drop left and right. Rocket dies. Rocket Raccoon dies. Nobody reacts. I think he just got shot. I don't think he died. I don't know. How can he tell? I mean, but yeah. that's exactly the thing. Like, there is no moment in which any of this goes beyond spectacle. It's like, look at these things exploding. Popular characters are dying. 
but you don't even stop for two seconds to acknowledge the death of the character because there's something else exploding. There's so many things that could have been a cool moment, but they're, they're in you such a rush. Yeah, they're in such a rush to do everything, to prepare everything for the next stage, for the next issue, for the big crossover event that is part of this big crossover event that nothing, nothing it's interesting... Not- it's not even the pace. It's it's the scale at which they are attempting to operate. Because when you were talking about like universal calamities and planets exploding and all of, and millions and billions of people dying, it doesn't mean anything. There's no. It's a it's a number. It's a statistic. There's no emotional weight to seeing these characters die. First of all, because we know they're going to come back. Because even this issue cannot dispel what we already know for a fact. Which is what, that they are all coming back, whether it's for Battle World, whether it's for something afterwards. Nobody here is going to die permanently. Can you explain to me the fastball scene with the Hulk? Because Colossus throws him away at the enemy flying fortress, which is fine. He hits the fortress, and then he's right back next to Colossus. Did he jump back? Because if he did, why didn't he stay to finish on the job? Because they're saying later... Well, we still have a lot to go to destroy that thing. Universes are collapsing and you're worried about yes, physics? because that's storytelling. <laughs> but that's... Or if he meant to have, you know, bounced back, it doesn't show it because he keeps on going in a straight arc. Did he fly so fast that he went all around the world and landed next to, you know, Colossus again? But, I mean, how can you care about any of that in the first place? I care, because that's know? basic storytelling. But if you were do- if you were interested in doing basic storytelling... You would not tell a story which reduces every single character you're working with to either one panel or a death scene that nobody no, reacts no, to. No, I think it can work. How? And you, this is a, I mean, if and you, you know what? For not multiversity. Older Grant Morrison. No, go for Crisis on Infinite Earths. The first issue has like all of these different worlds dying, right? Like there's this white wave of light and Ultraman from the crime syndicate dies and, and all of these but things then, happen. And you know, like the typical George Perez panel with like 300 superheroes. Okay, so what? But it can work. Busiek's uh, Avengers Justice League made it work, sorta. And my favorite example of that thing, the final arc of Grant Morrison's Justice League. The World War Three end of the oh, world right. with, you know, the giant planet-eating beast, which is the side of, of the sun, coming to eat Earth, and all of humanity j- joining in in, jo- in a giant world war, and the host of angels drop, descending from heaven to save us. You and said he it, made that it work. That was the end. Yeah, that was it, the end of the run. Okay. This event is starting from a position of. I see what you're saying. Apocalypse now, and it's like okay, but you're not building up towards any of it. And I mean, I guess that this is a problem that a lot of event comics have when they try to go macro. Like, why should I care that the ultimate Earth is going to die? I mean, th- those are the stakes that are presented in this issue, but even in. The beginning of this issue, there's a cast list page, right? Yep. Three quarters of that page are dominated by the Marvel Universe. There's like one row at the bottom for the ultimate characters. Because those are really the only ones that, if anyone is left to care at all, that's what they care about. So it's like, well, what are you exactly hoping to achieve in terms of our concern? We know that Battle World is coming because Marvel promotional material spoiled it even before Secret Wars came in. So we know that that's happening. We know that there's, I mean, you said it and you were absolutely skeptical. I don't, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but you said like you are convinced that Battle World is not going to be the status quo moving forward. No. That at some point they will return to a Marvel universe. A Marvel universe of some The kind. Earth outside your window. Right. As it always has been. Earth 616.1. Yes. Whatever. 
So I don't know. I mean, that might be the case simply because the status quo tends to reassert itself more often than not. But in the context of like this issue, I can't even say that I was disappointed because I knew going into it that, first of all, if you want emotional moments, you're not going to go to Hickman anyway. Like that, that is not his wheelbarrow. That is not something that he can offer you. So, you know, seeing Black Widow die in a single panel and everyone's like, oh, whoops. Oh, well. Because everything else is on fire, so how can you... You know, this is a big moment that is not given any dramatic weight. So, and and like Thanos standing around, you know, being ominous for... You know, mm. Avengers 2 it tries to do too much. It tries to have too many things. It's too even cut Aven- up. Even Age of Ultron had more consistency. No, no, but I'm this. saying... It's, like, it's, Cyclops shows up out of nowhere. Yes, it's... Like, Phoenix egg! And, now I'm the Phoenix again! What? Well, what? Who? What? Uh, why? Where? And, you know, I assume if you read all of Hickman's Avengers, it was set up because, again, Hickman with his flowcharts, but. Not my problem. Do- yeah, it doesn't matter to me. And I could, I don't care, you know, Cyclops coming in with some sort of cosmic thing. I can accept Hickman it. Hickman isn't even writing Cyclops. What does that have to do with anything? He's not writing I X-Men. Don't, I don't know. But I, again, I don't care about that. I can accept all of these as, you know, it's a big crossover and everybody shows up. What I'm angry at is the lack of basic story then. Is, is the lack of writing chops of, of is making that ex- from any other event though? In, let's say the last 10 years. How is it different See, from Civil I, War? I, hmm? How is it different from Civil War? Civil War had basic storytelling flaws. No, too. no, yeah. Civil Wars. But let's take Original Sin, which is a bad story, but Hickman at least, you know, knew how that to- That wasn't pre- Hickman, that was Aaron. Uh, Aaron, sorry. Aaron at least knew how to present the page by page transition. Here, this the most basic of, the, of necessary things is lacking, and that what makes me angry. I could I could handle a bad story because it's an event, and I'm sort of used to them being you know a big smash up based on a bad idea, just like Axis was a smash up based on a bad idea, just like Original Sin was a smash up best based on a bad idea. But this isn't a, a decent smash up. This is going to be eight months of Assad Rebic's time wasted. Shame on them for doing that. Assad Rebic could have drawn you know I don't know more Thor. He could have gone to Image to do some <laughs> some uh, some heavy metal violent project, but he's doing this. He's wasted here, wasted. Yeah, and this I will not forgive. I mean, there's some sense to be said, like with the argument that it you don't need a spectacular artist for an event because if you are promoting a comic as an event, they will come. The readers will come. Like, there's nothing that can be done for it. You are promoting this event on the notion that it will completely destroy and upend and dissolve everything that readers know. It already destroyed. The, you know, the Marvel Universe has ended. Yeah. They Which, they have, like, a, a very dramatic, like, here lies the Marvel Universe. May it rest in peace. Does it not seem weird to you, though, that they are, in 2015, doing what DC did in 1985? No. I just find that so bizarre because this was always... Of the two publishers, Marvel were always the one who were less concerned about what makes sense, like the world and how it was created and how, you know, which universe is which. And for them to start dealing with this now, I think it's a little late in the day to start saying, well, the entire multiverse has been destroyed, except for Ultimates, because we need Miles Morales. Um, and now, well, boom. Okay, like, I, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, I don't have any. I, 
you're supposed to wait for it to end because it will end and then we'll have the regular Marvel Universe and all will be fine. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Have, you, like read, my... have you read the free comic book day? No. Uh, uh, all New Avengers, Mark Wade, All New Avengers? No, why would I waste any more time on this than absolutely No, 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 Mark necessary? Wade's Avengers, yeah. not... Not that's supposed to happen. I see. That's the thing. I didn't even. I wasn't clear on whether is that a Secret Wars tie-in? No, is it no. after Secret Wars? I assume it's after Secret Wars because it's Miles Morales as as the on Spider-Man there, and mm. everything looks like you know regular Marvel universe, just with you know extra Miles Morales. That so, could be true for Battle World, though. I mean, I don't like. I don't know. Well, nobody said in that story. Hey, remember when all of New York became, you know, <laughs> part of a multiversal battleground? There's no. 20,000 New Yorks hanging around us. They're acting like it's normal Earth. I don't know. I mean, listen, to some extent, this is the event comic that we deserve. Because people keep shelling out cash for Axis. They kept shelling out cash for Original Sin. So it was inevitable that at some point, you know, here is the biggest stake... but. Again, like, Jonathan Hickman cannot convince me that the stakes here are real because nobody cares. The closest that in this issue that anybody comes to to a genuine emotional reaction is when Reed has to watch Sue getting killed. And even then, it's like, okay, taking into account everything that we know about the behind-the-scenes drama with the Fantastic Four, this might be a way to get rid of them, but I kind of doubt it. How long is this issue, by the way? 40 pages? I it's double size, I know yeah, that for sure. It's, it's, you know, it's $5 double size, which is better than usual for Marvel, but still, there's so many alternate covers in the digital copy. It could be 20 pages, and I just wouldn't notice because there's like 10, <laughs> like 12 alternate covers and 11 more back covers and whatever. I just, you know, it's, it's a bloated, shallow, self-absorbed. I kind of like the Punisher scene, which was short and sweet. But would the Punisher scene not have been great in its own miniseries. No, no. I think that was long enough. I don't know. It just wasn't... I mean, not for me. I knew that it wasn't going to be for me. Again, like, this was our backup choice. This was not something that we had any expectations for. We sort of had to talk about it. Did we? We skipped Convergence, and I was totally okay with that. Secret Wars, I mean, it if... Speaking completely openly and completely plainly, it affects me more because I read more Marvel than I do DC. Yeah. But not so much anymore. (laughs) I mean, well, I don't know. I don't remember who said this, but it was like, if Secret Wars is saying the universe has ended, congratulations, you can now stop reading Marvel. Yeah, but you're gonna read Runaways, and you're gonna read Miss Marvel. I'm gonna read the first. And you're probably well, no, gonna Ms. read Marvel has my allegiance for as long because. And you're gonna is, read Weird Weird World. But this is the thing. Even with those series, right? There is a level of tolerance that I'm willing to put up with. Beyond which I'm not going to go there. Like, if Ms. Marvel ends up being an actual Secret Wars tie-in where I have to put up with all of this, if you want to see what Kamala's upset about, read Secret Wars number four. I will drop the book. I love this book, but I will drop it. I will do the same thing with Thor's. The new projects like Runaways and Weird World that we talked about in the previews that seemed interesting, I'm willing to give it an a single issue. But again, my tolerance here for interconnectivity with a larger event is very low. If I find out that this is a series that the plot resolves in the actual Secret War, no thank you. I, I have no compunction about dropping these books anymore because it's exactly the sort of thing that offends me. You know, like, I have been enjoying... Loki, right? Yes. Loki, Agent of Asgard. You that was the the that will always be the comparison I go to for look at how you have completely derailed this book by forcing me 
to acknowledge series that I do not want to to accept. I had no interest in Original Sin. I had no interest in Axis. So for me to read Agents of Asgard, uh, Agent of Asgard, and enjoy it up to the point where like, well, we are now going to spend the next six issues in a crossover. I dropped that book. And I was sorry about it, but, like, I am not going to play the tie-in game. Okay, so I have a final question for you, for you before we move on to the next review. Yes. Is it better than Secret Wars 2? That is not a very high bar to jump. Yes, it is. Ha <laughs> no, ha! I, I mean, listen. Secret, I mean, nobody's learning how to, no galactic entities are learning how to use the bathroom. Yes. So, well, yeah. Yes. You think that's what Thanos was doing at, at, uh, Reed Richards' house? It's like, <laughs> So you're plumbing. Can it take antimatter? I don't even want to go there. Um, Shall we move on let's to? Please move on. Higher ground. Well, not that higher, but higher to some extent. So yep. Pisces number one. Uh, written Our by traditional Kurt- image number one had for this be. episode had yeah. to be it. Yeah. Uh, image number one. Curtis J. Weeby, Johnny Christmas. Uh, image Comics. Let's acknowledge first and foremost that we were going to read this book no matter what on the yeah. strength of. Weeby's work on Red, Red Queens. Queens. There was no question that we'd pick it up. It wasn't announced at the expo. This no. was something that was sort of slipped into the solicitations. And, you know, so the, the author of image, Red Queens... Image expos are weird because they announce certain things, which you expect them. Yeah. And then other things just surprise you. So they announce two uh Scott projects and then Wolf. And you're like, what? Like, There's oh, a the third two? project? Yeah, it's like when they... That was the weird thing. They announced the surface and they announced material, yes. but not Wolf. And, and Wolf, it's like, Wolf sounded more innovative. That yes. would probably Wolf the one sounds you... like the thing that would appeal to more people because yeah. it's less talking, more actiony. And it's also more atypical of what code has been like. The surface and material, from the way you describe yeah. them, they're both science fiction, high concept comics. Uh, you know, like it, it can Wolf go either is way. Real fantasy noir. Yeah, so. It's interesting. I don't yeah. know why they make the decisions that they make, but in any event, so when Pisces turned up in the previews, we were like, oh, uh, author of Rat Queens, absolutely. Sweet. Okay. On its own, on its own merits, this is not a very strong debut. No. It is better than what the cover promises, because when I saw that cover, and I said, oh my god, it's another comic about a guy stranded in space. Image, I will destroy you. <laughs> I am tired. We just did this with Kaptara. Yes, we I just am did tired, this. tired. But then you open the comic, and the plot isn't about a guy in space. Well, here's where I had the difficulty. There's... Now, again, this could Explain be... Explain them about the actual plot. Okay, so basically, this issue consists of two long flashbacks from the life of the protagonist, Dylan. Mm-hmm. He's a Vietnam War veteran, all-around screwed-up guy, and that's about it. There are, there's a double page spread and a last spread that indicate that something else is going on, but it's not, it's not clear in any way. And, Intentionally and, opaque. Right. And the, the nature of these flashbacks, I think, are not particularly innovative either. Because, for example, in the first flashback, we see that he has a dysfunctional relationship with his wife or ex-wife, the mother of his child, whatever yes. that may be, and that he's a mess. And the second flashback is a Vietnam War flashback, which, surprise, surprise, you know, has him dealing with extreme circumstances, traumatic situations, etc. Have you read Garth and his comics recently? 
Have you Here's read the, really anything set in Vietnam is always going to yeah. be, you know, shades of apocalypse now. Here's the thing. Um the previews had a very specific text to describe Pisces. When it was promoted, it was promoted on the strength of this being a science fiction comic that dealt with first contact with aliens and body horror. That's what was mentioned in the text. It's still on Image Comics' website, and it's the solicitation text for the first issue. There's no body horror in this comic. There, no. There is no explicit first contact. There's, There's something going on. Something that, strange is... Yeah. It's the generic something strange is going exactly. on here. Exactly. And... It's pretty dull. It is. I mean... Not, it's not horrible. It's just... No. It's just well executed. We've seen it before. That is exactly the problem that I'm having here. Because... Okay. The idea that what we're seeing is not what's going on... Fine. The nature of the flashbacks themselves are incredibly formulaic. Like, at this point, it would have been more surprising if he had gone through Vietnam and nothing happened to him. <laughs> because that would really be the unusual thing. What did you do? Oh, I filled out paperwork. Yeah. I was a file clerk, you know. Um, it really does require sort of a deft touch at making Dylan sympathetic. And it doesn't work, I think, because how is he different? It did seem weird to me that Ruby chose Vietnam and not, say, Afghanistan or Iraq. That would seem to be the more contemporary choice. Well, he's not doing contemporary. Is I mean, there's is there a date here? I don't no. even know. When is this set? Well, it can't be too far apart, the two flashbacks, because he's not an old man. He's not you right. know, a 60-year-old at the other flashback. So this is like happening in the 70s. Yes. Because the art really doesn't... Well, we when don't you see, see a lot. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of... There's a lack of clarity here that, comparatively speaking, doesn't usually happen with Weep. I mean, his graphic novel that he put out uh, didn't have this problem in the first chapter. Rat Queens, I mean, from the first Peter issue... Peter Panzer Faust? Peter Panzer Faust didn't have this either. Yeah. It's it's very bizarre. Like, I'm not sure what to make of it. It's, it's just not exciting. No. In any way... And he tries to sell you on the, well, read it to find out what happens, but I'm, I'm not interested to know what happens because right. I don't care about the guy. I don't care about the setting. I would have cared about the guy if there had been anything unusual about his circumstances yeah, at I all, think, but there isn't. You know what it reminds me of a bit? Uh, Trillium. The first issue of Trillium. Yeah. Which actually made the thing work. The interesting of, you know, what happens and the transformation. Right. Mostly because I sort of cared about the characters by the end of the first issue and it had, the unusual formatting, which made it interesting here. Or bodies, for example. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't end well, but at least in the first issue, you were like, okay. I want to know what's going on here. Yeah. I don't really... If... Because there's not... A, I think the problem is that he spends too much time on the flashbacks yeah. and not enough time underlining whatever it is yeah, that we're and, meant to be. And, and it could have been okay if the flashbacks were very well executed, but they're just generically fine yeah. executed. You know, a soldier in Vietnam goes yeah. through this really horrible experience. That I mean, And it's not even that horrible. You know, you've seen a oh, lot well, worse. The, the first part of that, yeah, is the second part, like when he is forced by circumstance to do something that is really gruesome. Again, Isn't it's not any new more ground. gruesome than, uh, you know, anything since Platoon, you know, Nothing, well, that's exactly new. it, right? Yeah. It's not new at all. So at some point, it's like, well, we've seen this play out so many times. 
Even I'm he's not very surprised. phased about it. He's like, well, I've just did something horrible. Command, you know, get me out of here, please. Right. Well, you assume that what happens to him afterwards is sort of a consequence of that. You know, post-traumatic stress disorder and all that. That's fine. I get it. But the the fact that there is a mystery here that we're supposed to be intrigued about, he doesn't spend enough time going back to that. Like, there's a two-page spread where you see something happening, and the last page is also indicative of, you know, here's what's really going on, but it's not enough. Because if the next issue is, you know, all of the first issue was an illusion or a dream, then you just wasted our time. Yeah. You just wasted our time. I mean, and the, the way not, that this could have worked is if the flashbacks had been a little... Properly framed? Well, either properly framed or unique enough that we got a sense of his character beyond the stereotype that he's playing. Because right now, all I'm getting is shell-shocked Vietnam what, War what, veteran. What, and I've seen that before. And I've, what I would have liked, I think, is if the weirdness was kept to a minimum if instead of ending it with a giant ooh everything is wrong it had little touches of you know something in unusual. the flashbacks yes, in the yes. actual flashbacks something unusual is going on you know I don't know some something in the background would have been askew uh, he talks to somebody and suddenly I don't know words come out jarbled you know something subtle and right. instead it's just regular 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 surprise exactly like there's no maybe you ma- were the zombie all along uh. And then John was a zombie. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, I think you nailed it. That is exactly what I'm missing. Within, like, this issue is so dominated by the flashbacks. If there's something else going on here that we're supposed to be aware of, it would have been nice to see that in the actual flashbacks. There's a scene where he's looking at this monkey <laughs> who has a, a grapefruit. He has a monkey on his back or near his back. I mean, listen, I'm not Jung. I can't parse that. I don't know what that means, but... The question is, do you care what it means? And I don't. So my answer to that would be that I'm not coming back for another issue. Yeah, if the trade comes out and I hear good reviews about it, even then, maybe. Well, no, I will come back and read the entire arc because I feel like this reads more like a first issue that was cut in half. Like, the, the last page here should have been the middle of the book. And we've seen this with Image more than once, right? A situation where they are writing a comic and sort of the arbitrary page count requires that they stop at this point. But this is exactly the point where you need to keep going. It's like Wayward, right? When you get to the point and you're like... Yeah, but Wayward didn't end well. You know, as, a, as I read the whole first arc and it was like... Right, okay. it never It was oh, it No, it wasn't bad. It was just... It was okay. It was generic team fighting supernatural stuff. Exactly. Better than Goners. I mean, I'm giving Weeby the benefit of the doubt. Yes, exactly so. I'm, Rat I'm Queens that... buy, buys you a lot of credit. It does. And, well, listen, Rat Queens buys you a lot of credit. Peter Panzerfaust has its problems, but I cannot say that that is a poorly written book. Right? Like, that also well, buys him some leeway. this one is not poorly written. It's not poorly written. It's, it's generic. unimaginative yeah. is what it is. And, and that's I, not what I, I What I'm expected. afraid is we have another John Lyman case, which John Lyman did oh. shoot, which for my mind is one of the best comics ongoing right now. And right. when it ends, possibly for me, one of the greatest series in general. Okay. And everything else that he'd done wasn't awful, but it wasn't, you know, nothing was even close to being as good. You know, right. he, did, he did the Godzilla miniseries, which was okay-ish. He followed he, up Greg Rucka on Cyclops, Cyclops which was... was yeah, Just he did, no. he did detective comics for like one year and nobody cared about it. He did an alien graphic novel and nobody cared about yep. it. Uh, who was it? The author of, um, To Kill a Mockingbird? Harper Lee? Yeah. 
she originally said, some people have only one good book in them. Right. Well, not, well, saying it now in 2015 when her second book. <laughs> but for how many years? How many years before her second book? 50? <sighs> Something like that, yeah. 60 years? It takes a some, long time to recharge those batteries. Know, some people have one great comic in them, and that's it. I, I'm not sure, but I'm saying that we, 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 case, we expect so I much think... because, you know, he found his one proper project. He right. found his one great thing, and everything after that is bound to be a and, little bit. And it's not like, um, it's not that Rat Queens was sort of a one-hit wonder because I read the second arc, and it's as No, good. no, no, no. Like, there's what, been no decline. One-hit wonder in comic is not the same thing as one-hit wonder in... Like there's uh, a the one arc wonder. Yeah, not one arc. It's it's one series wonder. It's the thing, the one thing that fit you best. It's like the actor in the superhero movie who found the one character that worked yeah. for him. I think what happened. I mean, I'm I'm drawing sort of connections here between different works that Weeby has produced recently, and I think it always comes down to the problem of pacing because he had this graphic novel, uh, the one that was kickstarted. You remember that one? Nope. It was something about a society. That was flooded, and uh, there's this uh, these robots running around everywhere. Uh, let me see if I can put up pull up that name because the reason that I'm bringing it up is Flopbox. Flopbox? No, <laughs> I don't know. What was it? I'm called? making stuff up. I... Are you sure it was him? Green Wake, I think it was called, or something like that. Green Wake. It was a graphic novel that he kickstarted, and it was a really good story. Wasn't that a Vertigo comic? No, no. It was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was, um. Maybe I'm confused with the Green Woman. Hang on. No, the Green Woman I definitely remember. Uh, what was the name of that damn book? No, no, no. It mind. was Green Wake. Okay. It was Green Wake. Okay. So this was this post-apocalyptic graphic novel that he kickstarted. It's made out of four chapters, right? The first three were really good. Last one, splat. Right? Like he botched the ending galactically. And the reason for that is because it's a pacing issue. Like, all of a sudden, you have three pages left. Gotta run, gotta run, gotta run. And, and like, you feel that you're being fast-forwarded. And this is the same problem. Where's the body horror? It's like, at the very end, you're, well, you know, something's going on. Maybe you'll come back for more. Maybe not. So that might be his his big weakness. And for some reason, he has avoided that trap with Rat Queens, possibly because of the delays. And all the drama with the artist yeah. that might have played a part in how well, he, you know, Red Queens was very much an artist book. I I haven't read the second um, arc yet. I don't know how how it looks like, how it works. Oh, it looks amazing, uh, Stefan Sedgwick. Yeah, but wonderful work. Yeah, but does he carry it? Because yes. it, see, maybe it's an artist. But thing. The, no, but the writing plays a very big part in that too. Okay. Because I think like the appeal of Red Queens, insofar as you know, you're reading it from the very first issue. I love these characters. You know, I wanted to see more with Braga. I wanted to see more with, you know, the way that they, they interact mm-hmm. with Betty and Hannah and, and all of that from the very first issue. Here, I feel like I should have wanted to know more about Dylan before we got to the point where he's in this strange situation and now what comes next. So well, not, not a success. I'll come back when the arc is completed and give it another fair try, but issue to issue, no. Okay, our final issue number one for yes. this episode is Arcadia from Boom Studios. We're mm-hmm. always happy to try out something from Boom. Always. Written by Alex Heckendell Hi- mm-hmm. and drawn by Eric Scott Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer, sorry. Michel, Michel. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, now, so... I loved this issue. I I liked it in theory. The execution were, was a bit mm, for me, but I'll tell you why once you explain. No, 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 you explain it. Okay, so straight off the top, the high concept here is brilliant. What happens is you have the sort of typical uh, end-of-the-world virus scenario. In order to escape extinction... Almost 7 billion people had their minds uploaded to a virtual environment called Arcadia. Arcadia. So, and Arcadia is maintained by all of these computers. And the, f- the few thousands of people who were immune to the virus or who uh, had millions. survived. They're saying millions. Is it millions? Yes, yes. Well, it could be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are responsible for maintaining the computers that store the minds of all of these, you know, their families, their loved ones, everyone. And, there's a tension, a growing tension between the resources that this virtual, these computers are drawing on a lot of resources and, you know, the people who are left behind who are pretty much living in a crappy situation. They're living in the post-apocalyptic world when... The seven billion are living in virtual heaven. Virtual heaven, they're flying around, well, they have superpowers. And, and there's also tensions inside Arcadia because yes. some of them are living in virtual Eden, some of them are beggars, virtual beggars. One of the reasons I really liked what Pac Nadell is doing here is he's asking the question that not a lot of people ask about a stock science fiction scenario. We've seen virtual utopias. It's before. the Matrix. It's the Matrix, though. But the question that they never asked in the Matrix is: so who's maintaining these machines? Yeah. Right? Who? The, like, there was some lip service paid to the idea that the robots clean up after themselves or whatever. But it's like, okay, first of all. There's no... Con- it's not the Matrix, actually, because the conflict is not between the meat, yeah. which is like, that's what they call the real world, and Arcadia. It's not that Arcadia is being aggressive. It's not that they're at war, right? They're just minding their own business and having their fun. And this is exemplified perfectly with the character, right? You have the teenage daughter who she's aware that she's a virtual construct, so she lets herself fly around. She gets shot. She regenerates. She jumps up and down, you know, her house burns down, they reset her house. Like, it's a world without any consequences. For some people. For the people who have the resources. Yes. Because, again, like something that the Matrix doesn't acknowledge, if you are in a virtual environment that's being run by a computer, computers have finite resources, right? There's a limit to how much memory, processing power. So who gets what? And this was something that, that I thought was so brilliant and in how see, he does okay. it. I really like the writing. I liked the fine, one of the final twists. Mm, yes. Which was very unexpected and very good. The art And failed. communicated in yeah. the first issue. Yes. But the art failed it. And not because it's bad, because it's generic art. It's, right. It, it's very well executed, uh, 2010's comic art. Right. This, Type of story needs something else. It needs something more. Mm. Or it needs at least a different artist for the real world and someone completely and utterly different for the virtual reality. See, I, I see what you're saying. Like, this would have been a different project if you had had someone like, you know, say, Jeff Darrow doing the virtual world with all, with all of these details. You know, and, no, and no, no, no. I things. don't even need someone hyper detailed. I need someone. someone Gus like, Storms. Someone like Xander Cannon even. Yes. Busy. I, I can see that. Or if you were doing Image, one of the Adventure Time guys or girls. Right. I think the reason that that 
might not have been necessary for this particular comic, right, in the context of what's going on here, is that, uh, without spoiling the end twist, yes. right, one of the things that they're playing on is the idea of these simulations, right, the people who are in Arcadia, for all that they are able to play with the nature of reality in a way that the meat can't do, they still see themselves as living some kind of ordinary life. Yeah, right? but uh, the teenage, the daughter's father, I, I forget her name at the moment, but she, you know, he's a go to your room, you know, do your homework, talk to whatever. They're, they're but, the sort but of, you, you have, they should look ordinary. Yeah, no, but you have these lines like, well, when you come to there, be, be prepared. Somebody tells to the UN president because most of them look like the uncanny valley. The art doesn't transmit that at all. People are saying, ah, you're one of the rich people who can afford, you know, facial facial features that's a great line but i don't buy it because most of the characters have the same amount of facial featuring well no there's a direct parallel well, there's between the guy, person who's well, saying there's it. this one guy but all of the other people all of the other protesters right none of them look especially different i don't what they're saying they're not selling properly they're saying it okayish i need mm. a bigger sell i need something different otherwise you're just again you're saying not showing Well, I, I have, I'm not seeing, you know, the cast of thousands in the virtual world who are the feature poor, who are the resource poor, who can't afford that. Well, you see it in the person who, who is speaking. The point of comparison well, is, but this guy is someone who looks normal. Yeah, but the guy who changes things is too over the top. Is he? Yes, because he starts off as this sort of a melting wax figure, and then he rips off his face and he's hard diamond beneath it. He's a wireframe. Yeah, but what they're saying is, Most of the people are not like that. Most of the people are just, you know, generic features. They're like, you know, the default avatar in a computer. But isn't that the point? But this guy doesn't look like a default avatar. It's like you're jumping from the extremely rich to the horribly poor with nothing in the middle. And it's, again, it's not horrible. I'm, it's a good comic. I'm saying it lacks, it lacks the, the proper execution for its ideas. I thought it was thematically appropriate. Mm. It might be that going forward, If they're really going to tackle the issue of, you know, the haves and have-nots within the virtual environment, then who gets to have certain features and who doesn't? Because, for example, the fact that she has super... Well, I mean, superpowers. You know, she can break the laws of physics yeah. as she wishes is seen as something, you know, it's a feature. But not everyone, even the people who have resources... Her father, for example, doesn't fly, right? There's a scene where they're stuck in traffic. And she says, you know, why don't you just fly home? And he doesn't do that. So it seems that there's some level of difference between, even within the people no, who have... No, I don't have, think that he can't. He just doesn't want to because he right. wants to keep up the appearance of normalcy. But that might be the point where the generic nature of the artwork plays to its, mm. its, to its advantage. Because by saying... I mean, the fact that it's the father specifically has relevance for something that happens afterwards yes. that I'm not going to spoil. But the fact that he's like... Can we not just be normal? And then, of course, her mother comes out, right, having... Burned the house. Down. Something's going on with her, right? Like, yeah. she she seems to not be in the same she do- place. She doesn't care. She grew up... Right. In- she talks about how, do you notice that pain doesn't mean the same thing as it used to? It's just sort of like... All it, pain here is generic. Yeah. It's it's sort of it's like... It's hit points. It's all the same. Like, you don't feel... If yeah, you're burned okay, or if you're stabbed, yeah, it's I, the same again, thing. Again, I really like a lot of the ideas. Yeah. Uh, the one piece of writing that I didn't like is the end-end, because that seems to pull the story into more generic science fiction terms. I wasn't sure what was going on no, there. No, I'm not sure what's going on, and I'm not going to spoil it, but 
it appears to me to be pulling it towards a more action-y route instead of the mm-hmm. very interesting political, uh, social thing that we have going on around here. I, I, I'm I'm willing to give Pat because Nadell, I'm, I'm like, sort a of chance. afraid of this going to be some you know huge threat popping up and everybody has to band together to literally fight it and I right. don't want to see that. No, I think here. that I think that that's been done often enough. Yeah, it's been done. The question is, are they going to do it? The end is a bit well. The pre, iffy. I mean, to the extent that Boom has been promoting this, what they have said is that the thrust of this series is specifically the tensions between. You know, the, the people in the real world who are more or less slaves, like they have, their obligation is to keep this virtual machine running. Because there's seven, their voices count, and there's seven billion of them and 100 million right. of you. Right. And, but well, also because there's a scene where they say, for example, communication between the real world and the virtual world is forbidden because people were literally committing suicide. Like you, your loved ones are in a place where you can never be with them. And then, you know, everything that happens as a result of that, but also the notion that, and this is something that we find out, I think, halfway through the issue, the people in the virtual world have a purpose as well. They have to find a cure for the virus because the virus that killed everyone is mutating and may wipe out whoever's left. So both sides here have, like, larger mission statements that should be working in unison, but there's tension, right? Because you have the character of the president who it's very clear that up until this point, Arcadia has been dictating terms to what the, you know, the meat, like the dismissive term of, you know, they're just a biological refuse. And she is resistant to that. You know, she says, you guys have a job to do too. And if you don't do it, we can just unplug you. I mean, they have that power. Arcadia doesn't really have the ability to reach into the physical world. Yeah. So it, 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 there's a lot going on here. I think a lot more than Pisces. In yeah, terms you know, of, no, definitely. It's the best number of, one of the week. Yeah. Like I said, my, I'm coming back from my, my complaints are points. They're not right. to the general thing. Okay. Are you coming back for the second issue? I think it's the sort of thing where I'm going to wait for the trade and that's it. Okay. Again, not bad, but I'm just, I'm not curious enough to follow it month to month. And I think it's the sort of thing where you need to read a whole, whole of it in one go. Hmm. Because it's so very tightly written that if I forget a plot point month to month, I'll be lost. Um, I am going to go issue by issue. I mean, I read in arcs anyway, yeah. but I buy, like, you know, single issues. In this case, I'm doing that, I think, also because not just that the premise is interesting, but to be completely honest with you, I sympathize with these characters. Like, there's a lot more going on here than in terms of character interaction. Than anything else that we reviewed this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, anything else? In the quite relationship a while. between between Carol and her father. Her name's Carol, I think. Yes. The relationship between Carol and her father. The relationship, like the two spies that are meeting in, in the meet. The fact that the first thing that happens to the president when she enters Arcadia is that she sees her father, who died five years ago, and it's not clear if it's a trick or if he's really there. And the like, she just walks right through him. So there's this whole, there's so much going on here. And it, this is not a double-sized issue. This is just like 22 pages. That's proper use of, of space. proper storytelling. Yep. And for that, I feel like as absurd it is, as it yeah, is, and your $4. it's so rare <laughs> that like I'm willing to see where Pacnadel goes on a monthly basis because I feel like I got my money's worth for this issue. Okay. So another winner for Boom. Yeah. 
I feel like this is something that could have been published with Image if Alex Pacnadella had been better, had a reputation. Yeah. But Boom is the, like, Boom snatched him up because I get, Image probably turned him down. Well, I don't know. Maybe he went straight for Boom. I don't know his background. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. He's, he's not, because he's not a known. Maybe an intern in Boom. Maybe he did some work before. I don't know. Could but be. Image is willing to publish, you know, Smaller names, like, for instance, our last review, <laughs> uh, our last review, as usual, a graphic novel or an arc, and we're doing Sax Castle, one word, and drawn by Kyle Starks, and it's the one thing you can never Google, ever, no. ever, well, that and Joe Casey's sex, <laughs> as we've said before. It was originally a Kickstarter project, which was very successful. I thought about contributing, but since I'm living in Israel, shipment and such, I decided, sorry, I couldn't afford paying 20 bucks just for the delivery. It's but it looks comicsology. Great. But it was so successful that Image snatched it up and said, well, you finished, you've, you've delivered all of your copies, good, you're signed, <laughs> publish it here. So now yeah. it's an Image graphic novel. Okay. And So you suggested this book. Yes, yes. I, okay, the plot. Uh, Shane Saxcastle is X. One of the deadliest assassins on earth. You know, he used to kill people for money. Now he's been out, he's out of prison after a long, long stay. And he just wants to, to, you know, rest a bit. He wants to grow flowers in a garden. Yeah, he wants to stop killing. Yes, yes. So he goes to one of these generic all-American small towns. And he gets a job as a florist in a floor shop. But because of reasons, he gets tangled in with the local mafia boss who goes over the top and attempts to kill Shane. <laughs> and one that, does. Yes, and that brings up Shane's past, his involvement with the League of Assassins. Okay, so that's the plot. That's a very generic plot. That's an intentionally very generic plot, because Sex Castle is the comics equivalent of Hot Fuzz. It's a joke. Interesting. It's a comedy about action movies and a proper action movie by itself. It's the rare parody is as good as the original thing it parodies and a very good send-up at the same time. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I've, said, okay. I've said my first piece. <laughs> Respond, please. I don't okay. know. So there's a quote in this book that I think encapsulates it perfectly. A dog my, is a dog, even if it wears sunglasses. That is... Uh, I mean, it's, There's so many great quotes here. That's the one you choose? There are great ones. No, but the reason that I bring that up is because this is happening during a meeting with like an old sensei and Shane Sexcastle. And it's so typical that that it's funny. Like he's saying Chinese fortune cookie is saying. It's funny, but it's also surprisingly touching because Mm. when I finished this book, I find myself actually caring towards the end about what happens to the characters. Ah, I was actually, you know, the whole plot is about Shane's struggle with, you know, his past. And people keep on saying, well, you used to kill people, you're always going to kill people, you cannot escape this violence. He has this great line where, oh my god, I've become a murder Orboros. I don't think that's how Orboros <laughs> yeah, works. Yeah. It's funny. Yes. I did, like, I laughed at quite a few uh, scenes. Shane's secret weapon in particular was very... It's reveal and it's history. Very, very funny. Um, I think the difference for me, between something like this and something like Sabretooth Swordsman is that in this case, I get the joke. The The humor is very, very deliberately targeting 80s action movies. Yeah. Like, the members of the League of Assassins are 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. Sorry, sorry, Dutch Matrix. Well, I mean, (laughs) the art isn't fooling anybody. And of course, the damn twins. The damn twins, right. So, which leads to the greatest moment of 2015. I can tell you now, (laughs) nothing better will come than the moment where uh, Shane Sexton is fighting the damn twins. And he rips one of their arms, one of them. And he's saying, the best thing about a twin, always have a spare. (laughs) That's such a Schwarzenegger line. And it's such a great deadpan delivery. The sticking point for me, I think, is that I disagree with you in the sense that there's more here than the joke. Because, yes, there's sort of... Starks is trying to play on the tragic angle that, like, Sex Castle really wants to avoid his, you know, avoid the the cycle of violence and get out of this whole thing with killing and everything. But he's such a cartoonish character, right? Like, when he first meets... Joe and her son, he's like, hey, kid, shut up. There are only two situations in which a man should cry. One is if his mother dies. Two is if a bear messes up your junk or something. And it's like, or when he he meets his old uh, ex-girlfriend. Frenemy, yes. And has sex with her walking across the entire town, like from one end of the town to the other, while she has her legs wrapped around him, and they're just like walking and having sex simultaneously, and the panels are showing like, you know, different backgrounds, and they're just going and going and going and going. So it's like, it's, it becomes, it's funny, yes. but there's not, like, how am I supposed to take seriously the idea that she, that he is I've, tortured by his past or no, whatever? No, no, because I, 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 don't like, think, I don't think it's about being tortured by your past. I think it's, it's about, like he wants to change his life, yes, but he can't. And, and I would feel more sympathetic towards that if he wasn't also like so over the. I mean, he is over the top yes, in in yes. the best possible and, ways. And I think is he Kurt Russell, by the way. I assume it's Kurt Russell. Like, uh, Snake Plissken, right? Because he wears an eye patch and he has a blonde mullet. That's just naturally the first place that I go. So it was just like... And he has the sort of, the Kurt Russell attitude for action news, which is, fuck the world. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I think why I can take it, again, that's the difference between us, why I can take the end, you know, the final note of it sort of seriously, not completely seriously, because it's funny all the way to the end, you know, it ends with a, where are they are now? Page and yeah. everything is a gag. <laughs> you know, the big, you know, the big bully free of the thugs have an ice cream to get, you know. With a polar bear. Yes. Sure. They, they now own an ice cream truck and Why an not? ice cream parlor. You Why know? not? But Starks art sells it. The moment where he ends up killing the final bad guy and he has another flashback to his dream with the flowers. Mm-hmm. And at first he's smiling like, yay, I finished killing everybody. Now I can have flowers again. And then he sees the flowers keeps on growing all around him. And the moment he realizes, okay, yeah, this great thing that they supposedly did, it's the same shit that got me into this trouble in the first place. I actually fell for this guy. You know, caricature, caricature as he is, mm-hmm. I fell for him. Just the right amount. And again, like Hot Fuzz, because in okay. Hot Fuzz, Nicholas Angel, you know, is not a super caricature, but he's a broad idea of, you know, is the most firm police officer ever. He's the police robot. Right, but the emotional anchor in Hot Fuzz isn't Nicholas, it's his partner. He's yeah. the one that you sympathize with because he's well, trying I, to be better. Well, I, I prefer Nicholas. Another thing, okay. why, why I'm saying half fast, not just because mm-hmm. it's a comedy. No, no, no. There, there are parallels here. Like it's the playing way, with a genre. Not just it. The hot fast is so great. Not, not simply because it plays with the genre, but because it sets up the joke so well. You don't even notice. There's so many things here that are like, you know, passing moments where you're like, okay, that's a cool thing. And then they come back pages later. 
uh, the first fight, you know, he throw one of the guy's friends in with a gun and just throws it at the window and like, you can't have that gun, you can't play with it. And you think, okay, that's it. It was a cool scene. And then he has another fight at the same place and he kicks the guy and the gun falls from the roof well, yeah. to his hand. He's like, oh, look, a magic gun. <laughs> After the guy told him, you used to be a magic in the killing thing. And he's like, oh, look, now I have a magic gun. Yeah. Or the thing with the underpants. That was oh, so... God. That was brilliantly executed. That was so... I mean... He killed two people <laughs> with... with with the underwear of his yes. dead girlfriend, and like, the, that line is so good. I'm not going. To, I'm not going to repeat it. What is that? No, 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 no. Okay. We can't repeat. We it. cannot repeat that in a PG-13 podcast. But um, I think we've lost a PG-13 when I said <laughs> the F word like three times in a row. I, I will it's say a, it's a rude comic, by the way. Yeah, well, let's say it's a. Yeah. I mean, is it any action, different? Yeah, is it 80s, any di- yeah, yeah. 80s action movie. Rude. That is exactly when, it. when they all were R-rated before the PG-13 curse came upon us. Exactly. So, like in that sense, it is very typical. Yeah. I get, well, one thing that that occurred to me when I was reading it was sixteen dollars seems a little expensive for a joke, but it's such a great joke. It I've is. read it. I've read it three times it now. Is. I've read it three times in two weeks. That's ridiculous. I don't do that. It's um, so. It's so funny, and Starks knows how to do a fight scene. Yes. Pay attention, Jonathan oh, Hickman. Yes. That's how you <laughs> choreograph a fight scene. That's how you think it through. That's how you execute it. Have you noticed how many panels there are on some of these pages? Mm-hmm. That's the proper use of, you know, the nine panel grid, the sixth. I think there's a 16 panel grid at some point. Yeah. So many good things. The simplicity of the art lends itself to the fights. Right. There's actually excitement and Sex Castle actually looks tired as the day goes on. And, you know, the moment where he takes his coat off, you know, the shirt's cut, you know, he's shirtless now and he only has his legendary last weapon, which we will not reveal here. And, you know, steam coming out of his ears and you have this lonely image of a snake atop of him. Mm -hmm. That's such a badass moment. That's not not a joke. That's a proper, oh my God, this guy's going to kill every single person on the face of the earth moment. Yeah. That's so hard to do in the context of what has been up until now a comedy. Yeah. And Although, I mean, that moment in itself also has a very strong comedic element because yeah. we're not going to reveal what his secret weapon is, but it's a doozy. Yes. Like, it's the sort of thing where you're like, okay, it really couldn't have been anything else. <laughs> but I mean, and it's not even the fact that it's a doozy. We get a flashback to the history of the weapon, which involves... Like, oh. The history of the planet Earth is basically led to this weapon being built. <laughs> it's so it's absurd. But yes, see that's the fine. That is the it's thing. the fine balance for me. It's it strikes the finest balance possible. For me, it it, it feels more like there's a conflict there. Like mm-hmm. the absurdity of it all is perfectly executed. Like Starks really gets how to make the the like most outlandish scenarios. But then, if you're going there, to then ask me to feel sorry for Shane because of his personal trials is sort of like, well... You can't... It's difficult, because it's like, okay, on the one hand, this is really just a guy who wants to be left alone. Like, he wants to start his life over. Yeah, he's And there have been so many characters that have successfully executed that sort of you know, isolation and wanting to connect with people and knowing that you can't and that your past is always going to catch up with you. These are elements of tragedy. But they're also happening, like, parallel to the idea that, you know, he throws the, the henchman's gun on the roof and then in the next slide the henchman's like, can I have my gun back? Like, no, you may not. 
the henchman has a freezy breezy stand <laughs> and like, well, you're gonna protect the town from us, but if, if you see me at the freezy breezy stand, I'm not threatening it. I own it, so you know. Yeah. Or like, um, so Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is shooting him with a rocket launcher. So he just like cuts the rock, the rockets in half. I was like, well, how does that even work? Shoot what? him again! What? That's the uh, Afro Samurai moment. Yeah, but... I mean, listen, Afro Samurai is an excellent example of something that didn't push the absurdity too far. Well, I, when I, he's didn't, like, I know, didn't find Afro Samurai sami- funny at the bit. I found it grudgingly annoying. Oh, but come on, Ninja Ninja was hilarious. No, like, it wasn't. It wasn't when annoying. When he... I mean, a, a big part of it is Samuel L. Jackson's voice yeah. acting, but it's like, I ain't going. I have seen some shit today ain't no one supposed to see. I crack up every time I hear that line. Anyway. But, so there is sort of a balance here, but I think that had this not tried to go for sympathy, it might have been more successful. Because, like, so there's this scene where where his girlfriend dies, right? And he's having a conversation with her, and she's like, blah, 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 and he's like, yes, I understand, I will do exactly this. And it's played for a joke, but on the other hand, like, she is actually dying. I mean, yes. this is a thing that's happening. So it's sort of like, is, are you playing this as, and that's sort of like the, her death is the catalyst for him, like, embracing what he's about to, what he's about to do to these people. So it's like, okay, are you playing this for drama or are you playing this for like the fact that he's having a one-way conversation with her and understands everything that she's saying as she's like bleeding from the mouth and doing her dramatic death scene? Like, uh, uh, yes, I will do as you ask. I will do this. As, well, I will plant them underground and I will plant you yeah. face for them. With your, <laughs> giving with, them the finger. Uh, yes. I mean, it's a funny exchange, but you can't. Okay, so it's hard I, to navigate that. Tangent. I think I, I think he does. It I think as well I see that. I think I see the separating line. So I shall ask you a question. Yeah, are you familiar with the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Last Action Hero? Yes. Are you a fan of that movie? Mm. See, you just did the. Yeah. Am I, I a if fan you asked me that, I would say yes, emphatically yes. With all of its problems, I adore that movie. And right. This one trots the same ground better. Right. I mean, there's no question here that there's a whole lot of meta commentary going on right like this is basically every 80s action movie that ever existed thrown into a blender and like yeah but it's not a mocking tribute it's no, a mocking tribute no, no, it's no. Not... It, it is a absolutely like pure hearted tribute in the yes. like he, Again, this is a labor of it, love yes it's the difference between uh i don't know robin hood men in tights which or uh what what the star wars parody spaceballs yeah you know spaceballs is very funny but it has no you have no attachment to anything because it's just a wrecking ball of comedies, like destroy this, destroy that, everything. Uh, Hot Fuzz likes know. this thing, like the thing that it destroys. At the same time that it destroys it, I feel like Mel Brooks's parodies are are affectionate well, in the way not, that they're Starks not means. Okay, you know, bad example because they're not means. Yeah. Scare, you know, the scary movies. Scary movies is something outside, that absolutely outside of, outside of the fact that they're terrible. Yeah. You know, they start out bad and became, became yeah. worse. But also, there's no affection yeah. for the source material. They don't understand in... anything. Mm-hmm. Right. This one does. This it one does. knows exactly what it's talking about. Right. I mean, you can tell that for Starks, telling this story oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. is a gesture of affection, right? It's it's a it's an homage. You know what? I think I came up with a perfect uh, uh, example. Do tell. Community. It's the action It's the mm. action movie thing uh, episode of Community. Which, in which the jokes work alongside the actual character development. But, right. See, okay. But community if this e- were an ongoing. No, no. Then I would, no, because what happens in the community episodes is that all of the, like the Star Wars parodies and the Western parodies and all of that, 
they're all based on the assumption that you already know who these characters are. So going into it, it's as much seeing how they change in reaction to the situations. Like when Shirley is playing paintball, she goes aggressive. And she's like the nice Christian mom. But the and thing she is, breaks, and she's like, the Lord is my shepherd. But we don't, but we don't need, we don't need a full season of episodes to introduce us to Shane Sexcastle because he's such a broad set up. Originally, we know him. Right. We don't need to learn to know him. So I think the process works anyway. It does. I feel like I would have preferred if he had chosen like one way or another, like either make this a parody, but leave enough quote unquote realism for us to genuinely not see him as a kid. Because you can't escape the fact that Sex Castle himself is a caricature. Yeah. The first thing he said, like, when he gets out of jail, he's like, I'm going to rip the president's head off. I'm going to, like, you know, God damn you. And and uh, uh, the president, after giving him the gift, right, his super yes. weapon, he's like, that man means death for whatever town he's going to. It's so over the top. Like, you can't not laugh at it. And, th- and then, you know, he takes down Steven Seagal... And he takes down Sylvester Stallone. And poor Mr. T. And Mr. Oh, God, Mr. T got the brunt of it. Like, I don't know why. I guess maybe Starks has an axe to grind there. I don't know. No, 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 no. He I think the, really... I think, I think the Dan Queens got the worst of the lot. <laughs> that was the worst send-off. <laughs> who, but, by the way, who was the old man supposed to be? I think that was Keith Carradine. The oh. old... The, the guy who played Bill in Kill yeah. Bill. yeah. Because he's playing the flute. Yeah, so I, I, I was sure that that's who the, he was. And he's the Western guy playing in the role of, you know, Eastern Sensei for some reason. Right. There was a lot of Kill Bill here because the yeah. Sensei is also, I think, designed to, like, Pai Mei. Yes. You know, the, the, although. Sonny Chiba. Again, like, this was one of those situations where I felt <laughs> like Stark's, I mean, to his credit, he knows what he's doing. When, she, when, uh, when he faces up, when Sex Castle faces off with his, you know, former flame. Mm-hmm. And she takes the usual route of, you killed my sensei. When we get that flashback, it's a deliberate play on what we expect, right? It's not what she thought it was, and it's... And it's not what he thought it was. Right, it completely changes the context. And I feel like if he had been just a little bit less cartoony, like the situation where after one day, Joe sort of like, my husband's been gone for a long time. And she's already undressing, and he's like, listen, what would your son think if you hooked up with the ex-con who just beat up four men? And she's like, she's so ashamed, like, she puts her clothes back on because he's too pure for this world. It's like, I, I get it. No, but... no, what he's saying is she's too good for him. Yeah, she, but, she's a but prop, isn't that She's like, a proper woman and he's scum. But isn't that, like, cartoon? <laughs> I mean, the way that he turned her down? Well, If he was scum, he wouldn't well, turn everything, her down. Everything he says is a punchline, yeah. basically. So I feel like... It's very effective as a comedy. It's very effective as an homage to sort of the genre and, and the time and the, the things that they say. But there are also points in this story where he wants me to take Shane Sexcastle seriously. And I can't do that because, because of the way he's presented, right? Okay. I mean, when you get to the part where his secret gun is revealed. Gun? It's a... No, 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 no. I'm talking about the secret gun, uh-huh. not about his secret weapon. Yes. He has two secret weapons. One of them is is something that we will not discuss, and one of them is a gun <laughs> hidden in an unusual place. And, like, when you see that, it's like, okay, so this is machete, basically. Like, th- that's what it is. Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's okay. a level of... And you don't watch machete for sophistication. You don't watch machete to 
have any kind of real emotions about like uh, does the characters' personal dramas or their struggles. It's like no, it's just lip service to get you to the next action scene. Starks gets as close to that dividing line as possible, I think, but it's it's still very very difficult for me to sort of reconcile that. Like I can embrace Shane Sex Castle as like a hilarious homage to Kurt Russell and watching him beat up like the the cast of the Expendables basically 20 years ago when they were actually in their prime and I can enjoy it on that level but then it's like so don't ask me to be like oh I mean his origin story connects to like God and the Devil having fights with giant swords and splitting the earth apart I mean when you reach that level of absurdity don't try to reel me back with like personal drama. Okay. It's it's a real. I I I enjoyed this book a lot, but it's like know where you're standing. You know what I mean? Okay. And I hope I will say this though. I am actively keeping my eyes open for Stark's next project. So when he's Boom an image launches now, when Boom launches their next uh, Kurt Russell based franchise. <laughs> What shall Kyle Starks do? Because they already did oh, Escape boy. from New York, and they already did Big Trouble in Little China. So what's what? next? Yeah, Probably. What's... Well, the question has always been, are they following John Carpenter or Kurt Russell? I think they're following Kurt Russell. So Stargate, I guess, would be the next. No, 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 no. no. That no. would be the next ra- rational thing. No. What terrible. else did he do that was... Because they're doing Big Trouble in Little China. Like, my mind automatically... Kurt Russell action movie, Big Trouble in Little China. Well, That's where I go first. The thing. Thing. But that's less action yeah. and more... Death Proof? Didn't they do that already? A comic book about Death Proof? Yeah. No. No. Hmm. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Right. Yeah, terrible movie. But I, oh. w- I would pay to see Kyle Starks doing a mad driver, Kurt Russell, <laughs> or just killing everybody. Right. Or he could do like a Kill Bill. That would be great too. Like you know, take... Or he could do his own thing. Yeah. He, I mean, I'm going to keep an eye out. Yeah, for yeah. His future, next project, whatever it is, I'm there. This was good. My nitpicks aside, I legitimately enjoyed it. I'm glad to see we ended on a pretty high note. Yeah. Until next time, I'm Tom Shapira. And I'm Sean Edry. That was the Smorgasbord. Bon appetit.